for us, a real game changer was when we introduced lightweight fake button or fake door experiments. It was around the time when we were considering starting a subscription business. We were wondering what would be the features that people would be willing to pay for. And we had all kinds of hypotheses for this and then went on and built, yeah, something that we call internally our rapid experimentation framework. It allows me as a product manager to place banners in the app on certain screens, remote configurable, so we don't need a new app release for that. And these banners could have all kinds of wording. And we would build these experiments where we were, yeah, basically pretending that certain features would exist to test the willingness to pay for them. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Tobias, who is currently Chief Product Officer at Tandem, where he's working on how to bring learning experiences to people who want to learn another language. Hi, Tobias. How are you today? Hi, Axel. I'm great. How are you? I'm really good. Really pleased with having you on the show today. Before we go into today's topics, why don't you give us a quick 60-second intro? Yeah, sure. But yeah, thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure and an honor and really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm Tobias. I'm the co-founder and chief product officer of Tandem. Tandem is a language learning community, a place where you can meet people to practice languages together. I'm an entrepreneur for more than 20 years and Tandem is my fifth business. We are based in Berlin, Germany, a team of 32 people right now and serving more than 20 million members of our community from all around the world. That's amazing. 20 million people. Wow. Congratulations. But we've been doing this for seven years, so it's been a while. Growing a community. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about this, right? What goes into building an app and growing a community and what are some of the frameworks you've been using or some of the experiments you've been conducting. But before we go into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tandem? So where does the story of Tandem start? How did it all start? And tell us a little bit about what the company does today. Yeah, so it's an app that you can download from the App Store or Play Store. We, you can also find us through your browser on, at tandem.net. And when you create a profile, you tell us which languages you speak and which ones you're learning. And then we match you with people who speak languages you're learning and learn languages you speak. And you can get into a messenger that works just like WhatsApp or, or other messengers, but has some special language learning features. You can correct each other. You can translate messages and a few other features. Or you can also join others in audio rooms and uh, practice languages together. We started this in 2015, but it was actually a pivot from a project we did before that. It didn't quite work out the way that we envisioned it. And then Tandem was a pivot from that. And yeah, the, so the story is pretty long and goes back even further than 2015. Our initial idea was to build a community that connects people from all around the world to speak about any topic that they like to speak about. And yeah, we created this app. It was also around the time when mobile phones started to have a camera on the front and not just on the back. And we thought there's something in the area of video chat that's worth exploring. So we built this product and we tried to grow a community but it had certain issues that made it really hard to build or to grow, especially. Um, I would say it was two issues specifically. The first one was that nobody was actively looking for a product like this, or just a small group of people was looking for something like this. While now we are in the language learning space and there are people getting up 
every morning somewhere around the world thinking they should improve their languages. There was not really anyone getting up in the morning thinking to join a general purpose video chat community. So it was hard to get organic traffic in. And then the second issue was that the, those who were interested in the product were interested to, in use cases that we didn't necessarily want to support. So we introduced a flow that we still have in the app today where you have to apply to become a member of the community. But back then we had to reject about 90% of people, 90% of applications because they were obviously not a good fit for the community. I'm guessing one of the main use cases is people looking to date somebody, right? Yeah, or even worse, the kind of chat roulette dynamics of... Yes. Yeah, uh, okay. Just to be clear, you talked about Tandem and the language learning experience. So basically, if I speak French and I want to learn German and you speak German and you want to learn French, the platform would match us together? Yep, exactly. And you could get into okay. a messaging experience together, exchange text messages and audio messages, but you can also jump on audio or video calls to practice. How many people do you have actively using the platform today? So we have more than 20 million registered members on the platform. Acquisition is always like one of these things you really have to focus on building a B2C app. How have you gone about building this 20 million strong community today? Yeah, where do I start? When In 2015, when we decided to basically take the old app and give it a new name and a new app store description and clearly position it as a language exchange app, Language exchange has been a use case on the old app before. Of all the popular use cases, it has probably been the most meaningful one. The channel that worked for us immediately was App Store Search or ASO. It was a different time back then. The App Store was not so crowded, also not so crowded in the language learning space. But we saw this organic traffic coming in from people who were looking on the App Stores for language learning solutions. And that has been a very sustainable, yeah, channel for. We did a lot of effort then on also bringing SEO up and creating more surface for Google searches. We have all kinds of pages, for example, that have combinations of languages and certain cities. So if you look for Language Exchange Paris, you would find a website on, or a page on our website that, that would give you like a list of potential partners, for example. And those have been the channels that actually have been working for us till now the best. What also works for us is word of mouth, but it's a bit harder to track. What has been harder for us to accomplish is, for example, to make paid marketing work, which has a lot to do with our users being at an age and also in parts of the world where you might not have the deepest pockets and you look for cheap solutions to learn languages because you can't necessarily afford the language course for $500 or $1,000 a month. So the kind of lifetime values that we see with our users are rather low also compared to other language learning solutions, but we compete for them with advertising space. So making paid marketing work in a way that it's sustainable and profitable, we have unfortunately not achieved yet. So our main growth channels till now are ASO and SEO and word of mouth. And going back to what you were saying before, like the origin story of Tandem, you talk about the fact that there were use cases that you didn't necessarily want to support. Why is that? What informed your decisions at some point of saying, People are using the platform to try and do this and that, but we don't want to support that. Yeah, it's a really good question. I generally support that you should follow your users in the direction that they use your product for, because we all have so many biases when we do product work and we can even make ourselves aware of these biases. But it's always a surprise for 
what kind of use cases users use your product for, even you had a whole different vision in mind. But in this case, I think there's something that I would call founder product fit. So my co-founder and I, we just didn't want to spend our precious lifetime building products, supporting these kind of use cases. I sometimes think if we would have continued on that path and just listened to our users, we would probably have an app now that's something like Bigo Life. I'm not sure if you know these apps. They are usually successful. They have hundreds and millions of users. They make hundreds of millions in revenue. But yeah, it's these kind of live streaming services. Well, check them out yourself and you'll probably see what I mean. That yeah, we could have ended up in that direction if we would have listened to our users, but this was not in line with our personal value set, so to say, and the kind of, yeah, the kind of product we want to put in, put out in the world, yeah, in line with what we actually hope has a positive net impact on cultural exchange, people across all around the world from different cultural backgrounds, understanding each other better. That makes a lot of sense. Really interesting, this concept of product founder fit. And I think I can, I can see how at some point you've got to, you've got to take a stance and you've got to stand your ground and just go back to what you really believe in. That's also really important. You talk about, we just talked, touched on acquisition and the app store. Have you, was there actually a flipping moment where you saw your community really growing and what was, what happened? What was behind that? Yeah, this was around these days in the spring of 2015. We were only an iOS app back then. The Android app came later in 2016. And we've been in touch with the guys at Apple. They are not super transparent about which apps they feature and so on, but they knew us. But I think they also weren't really sure where to place this old product we had, this general purpose video chat community. When we then did the pivot to Tandem and we were clearly in the education category, they started to support us. And I think about a month after we launched the app to the App Store, we were featured in more than 130 countries all around the world. And suddenly we went from 100 or so downloads a day or maybe 200 to at the peak 10,000 a day. And this kickstarted our whole community because our model works a bit like a marketplace. It only really makes sense if there are enough people to practice languages also in the different language combinations. And after that week of featuring, we had the critical mass of people in the community so we could easily support the big language combinations like English-Spanish, for example, but also smaller ones. And this is when it all started to take off. So just so I get this right, you changed the category of where your app should be referenced in the App Store. Was that it? That was not super intentional. The app itself, mm -hmm. the, the nature of the app just changed. So. I'm pretty sure before we, end, we were in the social category or maybe there was a communication or messenger category and then we placed it in the education category or maybe you could even pick two categories back then, I don't remember. What are some of the things that this produces? Like suddenly, I don't know, a hundred times more people are downloading or a thousand times more people are downloading your, your product every day. What are some of the consequences of, of that, right? That having the growth itself is great, but how did you guys manage? Yeah, when I remember back in those days, we, we still had this flow that we still have in the app where you had to apply to get into the community. But back then we were moderating all these applications manually. Mm -hmm. The whole team, including developers, everyone was very busy moderating these applications. We then, of course, built systems to automate this better. And I think that's also the path in many other areas that we went on. In the beginning, you do these things that don't scale, and then eventually you have to build systems that do some of the work for you. 
now that a lot of suddenly a lot of people were downloading the app based on the fact that Apple was featuring you in the app store, did you see a lot of network effects, for example, right? So people are, for example, I'm, I see the app online and I see that on the app store. I see that you're featured. I download the app. I try it out and I think it's great. And now I'm sharing it with my friends. So what are some of these behaviors that, that you encountered? Yeah, I think we, we see network effects at different levels. The first and most important one was reaching this critical mass. A language learning community that has no members has no value. And we always have to look at different language combinations there as their own communities. So with this initial push that we received from Apple back then, we reached that critical mass. And then, yeah, you get all these positive flywheels running. People leaving reviews and ratings on the App Store that places your app higher. Of course, word of mouth. And we are a community product. So with every new member that joins the community, the value of the community for every member that's already there increases. So network effects are super important for us uh, to also yeah, get an advantage over competition, for example. So tell us a little bit about your business model. How does Tandem make money today? We run a freemium subscription business. So a lot of the functionality on the app, a big feature set is for free. But if you want to have certain premium features, you have to subscribe. These premium features are, for example, finding people in your city, getting more visibility in the community, seeing who visited your profile. In our messenger, we also have a translation functionality. And if you want to do more than three translations per day and you need a pro subscription, we also show you ads. And if you are a pro subscriber, you don't see ads. This is the feature set. So we, we make a little bit of money with ads, but our business is mainly driven by these premium subscriptions. What are some of the interesting behaviors you're finding in terms of people trying to learn new languages. I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of these, these stats over time, but are people specifically interested in certain languages? Like what are some of the stuff you're seeing on the platform? In terms of languages, you could summarize it with that the whole world wants to learn English. English is the number one learned language on our yeah, app. I can um, imagine. Yes. And then the next level of languages is Spanish, French, and German, and English is learned by seven times more people. So you see there's a big, big gap there. In terms of, yeah, people's language learning journeys, of course, there are tons of solutions out there in the online and in the offline world. And we see ourselves more in the area of providing you with motivation to learn, because we also believe that most people don't fail in their language learning journey because they picked the wrong tutor or the wrong curriculum or the wrong app, but because they use, lose motivation. And that's the kind of piece of your language learning journey that we try to provide to get you together with people from around the world that you start learning with, you build friendships, you want to understand what they write you, you want to write something meaningful back, and you do this ideally every single day so you stay motivated. Do you feel stuck, not knowing how to tackle a problem? Are you looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use to truly deliver impact in your role. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching for their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, head to panache.io. Book a seat to one of our many programs and raise your product game today. 
check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. Thank you. That's great. I think it's also the motivation as adults to learn another language. I can definitely relate. I tried to learn Japanese a while back because we were, mm. my wife and I were planning this trip to Japan and I was quite serious about it at first, but then considering the amount of time this requires and we all have busy lives, especially product managers, not always easy to find the time to do it. And I guess having a companion app like Tandem can definitely help on that journey. So you talked a little bit about the genesis of Tandem. We talked about product founder fit, some of the use cases you didn't want to support at first, but really this doesn't really matter because now you have a community of over 20 million users from around the world. What would you say is your biggest product challenge right now? So I would probably differentiate between solving user problems and solving business problems. Yeah. On the solver user, solving user problems side, the biggest problem remains to get better at matching. Most people churn from our app because they don't find someone to talk to. And it's just, just to clarify, because they, the language pair doesn't have enough people or because they... It's not just a great fit in terms of the people that you found. It's a multitude of reasons. The one that you that you mentioned is definitely one. If you are on the disadvantaged side of a language combination, for example, you come from you have, your native language is let's say Chinese, for example, and you want to learn English. Of course, we have much more Chinese native speakers who want to learn English than English speakers who want to learn Chinese. Right. So you just have a harder time. You might have to reach out to more people. You might need a better profile and so on to succeed. That's one reason. The other reasons are, yeah, people maybe not being patient enough, people starting conversations, but not getting into a real flow, maybe also figuring out that it's not the method for them. That's, of course, also one of the reasons. And we try to address that on, dif on different levels. But the main place to address this is to just get better in recommending the right people for each other who have the same motivation, the same commitment who, especially if they want to learn synchronously in audio and video chats who are online at the same time and just getting better at this. And then once people get into conversations to help them, to sustain them and get to a point where they get interesting for both sides so you stay motivated and connected. So this is on the user problem side of things. And then you talked about the business side. Yeah, on the business side, I would say our biggest product challenge is so the growth channels that I described before, they have been providing us consistently with linear growth. But of course, if you look at it through the, sense, through the lens of the startup world and venture growth, we haven't really accomplished yet to get from this linear growth trajectory to an exponential growth trajectory. And that's the yeah, biggest problem of the business that we are focused on solving. That makes a lot of sense. How are you looking at this? What is your strategy as a product person how are you like breaking down this problem into manageable chunks? How are you going to address this? Yeah, it's a very good question. So I spoke a bit about the different growth channels before. Of course, it would be great if paid marketing would work for us as an exponential growth channel, like it does also for many other apps in the language learning space. Yeah, mm -hmm. for the reason I, I described before, it's hard, been hard for us to crack this. We've cracked this in certain demographics, in certain countries but not in the way that we can scale it. Perfect channel for a product like us would be um, to get a stronger word of mouth effect, to get stronger what's also called virality. And this works well for products that are inherently viral, 
that are inherently multiplayer or collaborative. If you think of typical messengers like WhatsApp or Signal, they only really make sense if all your friends or your colleagues or your family yeah. members are on them. So it's a natural part of even your onboarding to invite everyone. It works a little bit different because you use it because you don't have people around you <laughs> yeah. to use with. And yeah. also the feature set that we support now, it doesn't really get that much better if you invite all your friends. Maybe you can work with referrals and things like that. We also have that. You get a month of the pro subscription for free if you invite three people to the app. But what we actually, from a product side, how we look at this is building product that goes in the direction of group learning format, of social formats, where the value of the product increases for you with every person you invite to the app. What these features are, it's part of a discovery phase. So I wish I would have the answers to this already, <laughs> but that's the direction. That's how we look at it from the product work perspective. To build features that are inherently multiplayer and collaborative, of course, also solve user problems. Obviously, they have to solve user problems to in order when succeeding in this to then solve the problem of the business. You mentioned product discovery, and I think this is a really important part of the job. One of the things I'm quite curious about is you talk about people in different geographies wanting to use this app and we have different challenges they're trying to solve. How is product discovery helping you solve for an overall problem when there might be so many cultural and geographical nuances, right? Like, how does that work? Yeah, very good question. I was just reminded of the time when we were developing our user personas for the first time. And it's really not easy because there's so many different learning motivations, backgrounds, age groups, people from different countries. And it wasn't so easy to synthesize them into user personas. But of course, it's still possible. There are patterns that you find and you can see. And what we yeah, when we do product discovery work, of course, we take that into account. So when we run a survey, we don't only run it in English or often just to make it a bit easier, we first run it in English. But when we see that we have to dig one step deeper, we run it in all kinds of different languages to get all these different viewpoints in from different types of users and groups of users. We try to, of course, also run as many experiments as possible with a large group of people. We have actually the advantage at our current size that we can run an experiment in the app just for a day and we get enough users exposed to it that we get to significant results. And that's probably the approach that we have to when we do user discovery to keep this in mind. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to just talk to users from Berlin, for example, a city where we have a lot of users as well, but their use cases are probably not the most typical for the community as a whole. It's really interesting that you mentioned experimentation on your user base. This was going to be one of my next questions. So there has to be obviously benefits of having a user base of 20 million people. And experimentation comes to mind because you very quickly can have statistical significance. If you're doing A-B testing, for example, how are you leveraging that? You mentioned you can run a simple experiment and get results really quickly. So as you grew as a company and product organization, how did you fully leverage or are you fully leveraging this capability? Yeah. For us, a real game changer was when we introduced lightweight, you could call them fake button or fake door experiments. It's been a while back. It was around the time when we were, when we were considering starting a subscription business. 
This was in 2017, around that time. And we were wondering what would be the features that people would be willing to pay for. And we had all kinds of hypotheses for this and then went on and built, yeah, something that we call internally our rapid experimentation framework. It allows me as a product manager to place banners in the app on certain screens, remote configurable, so we don't need a new app release for that. And these banners could have all kinds of wording and would open a native alert that could have some wording as well. And we would build these experiments where we were, yeah, basically pretending that certain features would exist to test the willingness to pay for them. You would see a banner, for example, that says 25 people visited your profile today. Do you want to see who it is? And if you click on it, it would tell you, ask you to upgrade to a pro subscription. And if you would click then that you would like to proceed, it would tell you, sorry, the feature is not available yet. We're working on it. But we would track these clicks. And I remember we had a list of about 70 features that we tested back then. Wow. And the, win the winners to us were actually quite surprising. Like the example I just gave, this was not in our top 10 as a team yeah. that we thought people would be willing to pay for. Why would you necessarily pay for seeing who visited your profile but decided not to reach out to you? But of course, this plays into curiosity and other effects and it's a strong, yeah, emotional trigger as well. So we learned through these experiments. Now we're doing them very relentlessly. They, there's no idea that ends up in the app that hasn't been tested with these types of experiments before. They so also it's like have a standard part of your product development process, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you can do them so quickly that if I would have an idea today, I could test it tomorrow. And then two days later, I would know at least if there's initial interest in an idea or an initial willingness to pay. These experiments also have their limits. It's really hard to test if people would use something repeatedly. And we also learned a couple of hard lessons there where we launched these lightweight experiments. There was a certain initial interest that, that kind of showed us there's potential. Then we built the feature in some kind of MVP way and we saw that it was used once, but not repeatedly. So the initial interest was in line with our experiment, but the retention of the feature is really hard to test with these things. So of course, it's not like the solution to all, but it's also really great in a product team to be able to test these things lightly. So before having like long discussions about if we should do something or not, we're just testing it. And then we have real data to base on our, base our decisions on. So you are based in Berlin, right? Yeah. How many people in the company? How many people in the product organization? How are you guys organized? So roughly two thirds of the team are software developers, product managers, designers, and the other third are in marketing operations. So I would say two thirds of our team are working very closely with the product. But of course, we also try to integrate the whole team into product work. It's, yeah not that separated as it sounds. And how many are you in the company now? We are 32. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing a lot of this, these stories and some of the experiments and things you went through throughout the years, I think is super interesting, especially your ability to build a strong B2C organization with this many fibers or, or registered users. In the next section, which is one of my favorite sections in the show, which is the treasure chest, I basically ask guests about things they have found to be really useful in their career and in their ability to deliver impact as product people. What would you say are some of the most helpful resources you've used to deliver impact as a product person? When it comes to product work, I almost religiously follow everything coming out of Silicon Valley product group, Marty Kagan and his colleagues. Yeah, I love Marty. 
Yeah, I found, I find, yeah, their books, their blog posts, super insightful. They have been eye-opening to me at times, very spot on and also matching my own experience. I also follow Reforge.com and their blog posts. Yeah, Reforge blog posts are amazing. Yeah, also, I have never done any of their programs, but the blog posts have also been yeah, very insightful for me to get inspired and learn new concepts and stuff and learn how to look at our business and our product in different ways. Then I'm not sure if this applies to all fields and interest industries, but I think most inspirational to me has been to talk to what I would call enthusiasts in my field. So in the language learning field, there's this group of polyglots, people who speak a lot of languages and continue learning new languages. And this is a group of a few hundred people in the world, but they run events very frequently. They're called Polyglot Gathering or Polyglot Conference. And I attend these events and talk to people who are, yeah, where their life is about language learning. And they exchange their newest ways to learn languages and give talks about this. And they are, of course, not our typical users. It's not to be mixed up with user interviews. But just getting inspiration from people who are in the best sense of the word nerdy about our field has been very inspirational to me. And it's also been a very nice and welcoming community. I've also had the opportunity to give talks about Tandem at these events. And I always feel a bit of imposter syndrome there because <laughs> I don't have such a strong background in language learning. But this is the most friendly and welcoming community. So I've always enjoyed that a lot. And... I also think as a product manager and especially as an entrepreneur and co-founder as well, it's my job to stay on top of what's happening in the industry as a whole. So I also like to inform myself about industry trends. The most insightful resource for me has been Stratechery, uh, which is probably also known in this community a lot, Ben Thompson and yeah, what he writes about. Because of course, as an app, we are also part of this whole ecosystem and even he writes often about the big companies, but yeah, our business depends on Apple and Google and Facebook and our cloud runs on Amazon and Microsoft. So whatever happens in this world of these big companies can or might have an influence on what we are doing as well. And so I find it's also very important to, to stay on top of things there. And also the ad tech industry, my favorite resource for that is there's a, there's a venture capital company called BrightEye, a full disclaimer, they're also invested in our company at brightivc.com, they frequently publish reports about the ad tech, meaning education tech space that are super insightful and well-researched and really great. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing. And next question, what would you say are some of the key accelerators you've had in your career? Yeah, I think my career was accelerated whenever somebody trusted me either co-founders or investors with doing product work or just starting and running a business and a company. I think I've been quite fortunate in this, that at certain stages of my career that happened to me. And then the actual product work was a lot of, and sometimes very painful learning by doing. There were times when I was introduced to concepts also by colleagues, by investors that were very helpful. For example, what I explained before about these game-changing introduction of these fake button experiments. This was very much inspired by one of our investors who joined us back then. So this has have always, always been a big accelerators for sure. And also learning from peers in the last, yeah, almost three years, this has been 
a bit happening a bit less, but I've always enjoyed joining meetups, conferences, and so on to learn how other how others go about their product work. Thank you. And my last question, which is also my favorite question, what advice would you give your early career self? What would you tell early career to be as today? Yeah. Interesting question. I think my answer would be none. <laughs> First of all, I'm not sure if my early career would really listen, <laughs> but I think I would actually be more interested in asking my early career self for advice or rather think about what I would like to reclaim from my early career self. I feel like working on a product for many years like Tandem, it just happens frequently that I talk to users or also new team members joining. They're joining our team and you have a conversation of what you would what suggestions or ideas you have to improve the app, that I often find myself in a sort of position to defend the product and previous yeah. product decisions. Because of course, after seven years, it rarely- baby, right? Yeah, not, yeah, maybe not so much, but after seven years, it rarely happens that somebody comes around with a completely new idea. So most mm. of the time, it's something that we've tested before. So somebody would suggest something and I would tell them, we tested this in 2017 and we ran an experiment and it was not successful. But I think this can easily let this defending position to the defensive mindset. But of course, apart all the product structures, processes, and so on, it's super important when you do product work to keep an open-minded and curious mindset. And I think it requires a constant, continuous, conscious effort to cultivate such a mindset of openness and curiosity for myself. And I think I could learn a lot about that from my early career self. Thank you. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing this really interesting answer. Definitely <laughs> why I haven't heard much before, but I can definitely understand what you're saying. Tobias, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. All the best with what you're doing at Tandem. So I will put the link to the platform in the show notes. People can go and have a look at the language learning. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, also all the best to you. This podcast has been awesome. Thanks for everything you're doing for the product community. And yeah, happy to talk again anytime. My pleasure. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time. <laughs>